Hi everyone, and welcome to the Hockey Journey Podcast, episode number 12, The Barry Karn Hockey Journey, presented to you by OnlineHockeyTraining.com. I'm your host, Coach Lance Pitlick. If you're new here, please make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Before we begin, if you want to learn more about me, my hockey experiences, what I know, and most importantly, how I've been helping hockey players get really good with a stick and puck, just head on over to OnlineHockeyTraining.com and gain instant access to my 10-part video series where I'll show you everything. Consider it my gift to you. I've been looking forward to my next interview. This individual is regarded as one of the top skating instructors in the world. Barry and Jody Karn have been teaching skating since 1984. Barry worked as an NHL skating coach for 22 years with Arizona, Calgary, St. Louis, Minnesota, San Jose, and Tampa. There are over 200 current NHL players trained by Karn Skating Dynamics. Their teaching methods have reached far beyond Minnesota, the United States, and Canada as they've done several hundred team, coaches, hockey associations, club clinics, and seminars throughout North America and Europe. If you look at their website, it clearly states that power skating is dead and has been replaced by the glide platform training method. A true master coach and instructor with nearly 30 years of experience. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me in welcoming Barry Karn to the show. Hi Barry and welcome to the Hockey Journey Podcast. Well, thank you, Lance. I, I, I was really looking forward to this too. We've we've really only recently got to know each other, and uh, it, it seems like uh, I'm sorry to you that we're two peas in a pod, actually, in a lot of ways. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. This would be great. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, and I know you probably more than you know me because of the filtration system of my kids working with you. So I always get the stories of what you were working on. Uh, that day on the ice. So uh, thank you for all that you've done with my boys because they certainly enjoy and have gotten a lot out of your instruction. That's great. I, I got a lot out of your kids too. They're just, they're just fantastic kids and the, the drive level and the desire to learn and uh, the openness to, to be criticized and to move forward, is, it, it, it's a treat. They're, you've done a good job. Let's put it that way. Well, thank you. Uh, before we get started, Barry, I have to confess that over 20 years ago when I first got into coaching, the gym that I worked out at, Lifetime Fitness, is attached to Plymouth Ice Center in Plymouth, Minnesota. And when I was walking out one day, I noticed that there was some on-ice breakfast club that started at 6 a.m. So I found myself spying through the hallway window to see what was going on. And I'd find out later that it was you and your wife, Jody on the ice. So for months after I'd work out, I'd sit there from afar, try to learn something, more like steal it, (laughs) Uh, and bring to my next practice. So I guess I just wanted you to know that you and your wife were a huge influence on me in my early coaching days, and I just wanted to say thank you. Well, that's that's great. I I, I mean, you don't don't normally find out someone's a stalker until after the first day, but (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, I, I mean, isn't that funny how that works as a coach? You know, you're just trying to absorb everything you possibly can. I've watched so many practices. I remember going down and watching uh, Gopher practices and North Star practices and 
uh, bantam practices by this great coach that I used to know. Like you got a, a lot of advice with and high school practices and even like, you know, beginner uh, figure skating classes. What are these, what are these uh, figure skaters doing with these little kids at a young age? And it, yeah, I mean, why would you want to reinvent the wheel? That would take most of your life. Right. And so uh, we can build upon all that stuff. And yeah, it's, that's a, uh, that's the way you do it, isn't it? So it is, and yeah. you know, times have changed since you know I started out. I mean, the only way to gather information is just like you said to go to in-person experiences or reading books, watching DVDs. Now uh, it's never been easier to to search out European techniques, and because everyone's posting online, sure. Yeah, it's great. I, I mean, back in the day when you had to buy a tape, you know, a, a, a tape for your VCR and, and things like that. I mean, I had so many tapes. I had a tape from, uh, you know, Bobby Hull, you know, stuff like that. And I remember looking at all these tapes, you know, as a new coach, and I kind of had an idea, the sort of beginnings of the model for what we do now already. But watching some of these tapes and some of them were so bad. And at the same time, I learned something from everybody, even if it wasn't a technical thing, it was an attitude or it was a, a, a drill or something like that. I could look at and go, Hey, I could use that drill, but I would add this, this, or this, or take this away. And that's yeah, fun, you know? And, it, and it's like, I mean, doing that now, and like you said, it's so much easier. You don't have to wait for it to come in the mail. And, you know, you can zip through everything pretty quick and go down that whole rabbit hole all day long on, on YouTube. So, yeah, it's good stuff. So I should say everyone is posting online except for you. <laughs> I'm trying to do some research online, and you're like a ghost. There's like two videos on YouTube on you. Yeah, well... I mean, as you know, I mean, in Minneapolis here, like I, that it's funny because I, I get this a lot when, uh, when a team has been trying to hire me, usually there's somebody there that knows me and they're like, wow, he just can't find anything on you or where's your, you don't even advertise or you don't do this and whatever. And, um, you know, there's more hockey players here per thousand than anywhere, but Toronto. And it's actually really close. So the way we have our business structured where kids come in, they're not coming in for a week camp. They're, they're coming in once a week for, I've seen kids uh, from the time they were eight years old until they were 12 years into their pro career. And, you know, I'd see them at least during the summers. And then during when they're younger, I would see them, you know, once a week during the, they wake up in the morning and come in and skate and, um, so it, it, we've never really had to advertise. We've had a we've had a waiting list for over thirty years, and and so it's like, you know, what am I going to do? You know, because I've never really wanted to build my business by getting more coaches. I always just didn't feel comfortable with that, and I, I'd also seen the nightmares of training an instructor that really just turns into your competition, you know? And so, um, I know that sounds a little weird, but I'm pretty protective of what I do. And I want my, 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 if, if my name is going to be on it, I want my fingerprints on it also. So, um, yeah, we've never really had to get people's attention that way, I guess. Yeah. When I got into, uh, 
you know, a similar training business, but off ice. Uh, I reached out to Scott Bukestead, who's a shooting instructor here in Minnesota that we, we all know and respect. And he told me the exact same thing. He goes, if you're good, you're not going to have to advertise after about five or six years. And that's what's happened. And, you know, I, I know that we're always, the three of us and uh, several other uh, trainers in the Twin Cities area, we're always, the, you know, pushing players that we get in front of over to each other. So it's, it's, it's been a nice model that uh, you were well established before I got in there. And uh, I'm just happy to be part of that circle. But enough about me. Uh, <laughs> before we uh, get into it, uh, really, I just want to start by, uh, you know, what was your child? Where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? Uh, Hockey had to be part of your life. I have no idea what your hockey career is, so I'm looking forward to this. Uh, your introduction to hockey, other sports you may have played, I guess, basically give us a snapshot of what it was like growing up Barry Carn. Okay, so I grew up in Mendota Heights, which is a suburb of St. Paul in the Twin Cities here in Minnesota. And uh, my father uh, played pro hockey in the Canadian, or in the, sorry, in the Rangers organization. And he also played pro baseball in the Cardinals organization. Oh, wow. And he was a 12-letter winner in college, just a great athlete. And when I was a little kid, he was a high school, uh, he was a high school coach down in South St. Paul. And he and my godfather and a couple other guys started the South St. Paul Hockey Association. And if you know any history about Minnesota – in the early days, there were only really, say, high school teams up in the in northern Minnesota by really tra uh, Canadian transplants and European transplants and things like that. And down in the uh, cities, there was Edina, and then yeah. there was South St. Paul. So these those were the first two, and they started. And my my godfather, Lefty Smith, his name is on the ice at Notre Dame and in, in at center ice says Lefty Smith there. He he was my godfather. So. There was a lot of hockey going on. And at the time, you know, nobody really knew how to, you know, nobody had city rinks or things like that. So they had a whole group of people and they built Wakota Arena. So my dad was kind of part of this big group of guys that owned the rink. And so I basically don't even remember learning to skate uh, at all. <laughs> like, I just thought. It's every, what somebody else, everybody does this in Minnesota. Everybody knows how to skate. And I would go to school and, or down to the rink and skate, and there'd be someone kind of struggling to skate. And I thought, what's wrong with that person? Why can't they skate? And, you know, that kind of thing. And then I started to realize that I was on a little bit of a different planet than a lot of the people around me from just being on the ice at such a young age and, and uh, it being just being around the game and having – uh, people like John Mariucci come into my practice and Art Miller. I don't know if you remember that name at all. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So Art Miller and Ken Yackel and Herb Brooks, like later on. So all these guys were around all the time. And um, I don't know, I, I guess I absorbed a lot from those guys um, and, and started playing. And when I, and as I get older, I, I had a bit of a, I had a bit of a rough childhood in that <clears throat> my parents were, uh, you know, my, 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 my father was an alcoholic and my, my mother was actually a sociopathic narcissist. So it was a, 
it was a bit of a rough uh, childhood from that standpoint. But and, and so I was playing, but I wasn't really getting a lot of direction and things like that. When I got older, just you know, injuries and things like that, I just got out of hockey. And I was out of it for a few years and literally took my stuff and just got rid of it. I was kind of bitter that, uh, for, for not being able to play. And, uh, so I got rid of my stuff. And then a, f- a few years later, I met my wife and this is in the early eighties and she was a figure skater and I borrowed some skates to go on a skating date with her. <laughs> so we, we went skating and, uh, and, and, and it literally turned into a training session. She's like, here, try this, try this. And I'm looking at, I'm looking at her going, I don't, I don't even know if I know what you're talking about or, or you, you want me to step which way? It was really kind of confusing. And we got done with the lesson and I was all sweaty. I think I ripped my pants. I was trying to be cool, but I looked terrible. <laughs> it was just a total klutz. And, uh, and, and it wasn't that I was a bad skater. I just had never had that broken down for me in a way that, that, and it just made sense to me. And it was like, okay, well that that's over with. And, um, and then I actually asked my wife to marry me 10 days after we met, you know, it was like love at first sight. I know. Um, uh, and you know, wow. it wasn't too long later we were married and, um, but, but at that time she was, uh, she was a figure skater, very accomplished figure skater, kind of an upper great lakes, uh, uh, champion skater up, up around this area. And, uh, she was teaching and she had all these little kids, uh, you know, she had all these little kids. She was teaching these girls who had little brothers and things like that. At the time, there really wasn't any girls hockey around, but little brothers. And it's like, can you teach them? And she's like, ah, I don't want to teach boys. You know, I just want to do this and whatever. And I, and I go, listen, I'll put on skates and gloves and a stick and go, I'll be your puck boy. I'll be the hockey guy out there and help you just like, I think it'd be a good idea. We should do this. And, and, uh, she did it. And after it was, it was really relatively soon that she was like, Oh my God, these guys are great. You just tell them to do, they'll run right through a wall if you tell them to do it. So she was like, she kind of really enjoyed it. And, uh, she was doing it a little bit with a friend and then, I started just was so fascinated by it and I got to back up a little bit. I was really fascinated by it. But at the same time earlier when I couldn't play hockey anymore, you know, I'm in high school and a guy goes, Hey, you should come out and ski, go skiing with me. Right. And so I went there, we were at Buck Hill, the famous Buck Hill. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's, they have kicked out, I think 26, Olympic skiers out of that tiny little place, right? No way. They, yeah, they had this guy, uh, what's his name? Uh, si- Siler, Eric Siler. He came over here, and I think he was a, he was a kind of a famous coach in Europe, and these parents came and brought him over here, and he put in this high-speed rope toe. So these kids are going up and down and up and down, and they're getting 10 times the gates of people out, out in Colorado, right? So it's all, and it's all slalom. So it's just a race factory. There's more racers there than anywhere in the world, like leagues. It's wild. So I ended up going out there and my buddy was actually a ski instructor and I learned how to, you know, I don't know if you ski Lance, but hockey players learn how to ski unbelievably fast. And so he goes, you should be a ski instructor. So I'm like, hey, I got nothing else to do. So I went out and I went through the, the training program Became certified to be a skating, uh, a ski uh, coach or a, a 
ski instructor. And, uh, you know, I'd be out there, uh, we'd be doing these certification classes. And I just, I, I really liked it. I really enjoyed the whole process. And, and the PSIA, which is Professional Ski Instructors of America, they disseminate research information like I've never seen before. I think tennis is like that too. If there's some breakthrough in a string or a racket, tape, tennis shoes, athletic injuries, it gets disseminated to every instructor that's in the PSIA for, for, uh, uh, for skiing and for tennis and things like that. So it was pretty cool. And they, they taught in a progression style. So it was like, do this. Okay. Not quite right. Get it, get it, get it. Now do this. Let's add that. We're going to do two things at the same time. Then this and this and this. All of a sudden you've put a technique together and the guy that was out there, uh, Eric Bloomquist, who is, he's, I would say, <clears throat> from the coaching standpoint, the biggest influence on my life, without a doubt, showing me how to look at movement and present a technique in bite-sized pieces that people can understand, rather than like, hey, here's a crossover, bam, 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 now try and copy it, and they fall short, and you don't know why, and they can't, you can't improve it, and so breaking things down and doing things with a progression, that was that, so when I started teaching with my wife, you know, or just watching her, I'd go, gosh, you know, this could be broken down more like the way you break down an axle or a, a tofu, you know, I, I don't even know the names, but so, you know, the jumps and things like that, we could break this down more. Plus if we have a group, the good guys, they can excel, they can go faster. They can do it under more pressure. The other kids that are just learning it, they can be doing this, the same step. So we could have some varied, uh, we could have some varied talent together um, on the ice at the same time. And those were our clinics during the summer. And then we started teaching privates. And uh, that's, and, and I, so I started really getting into it. And that's why I was buying all these tapes and looking into the biomechanics, uh, strength training. Why is this guy looks like it's so much easier than that guy? And then we started seeing some discrepancies in uh, how, how people were uh, taking to power skating. Why did some people learning the same, same technique look like this? Why could they travel so much faster than this guy? They're both really good athletes and they're both really strong. And then we started seeing the commonality and the people that were excelling past, past let's say, speeds um, that normally people were reaching. You know, there's a, and, and, I, and, and I know there's another question you were going to ask and we can get a little bit more into it, but that was really how I kind of got into it. And then I started teaching more and really, I think I just, I just love it. I mean, I just absolutely loved it. I loved watching kids get just lit up by having a definite ladder to climb, right? Like I want you to be up here. And it's like, well, how do I get there? It's like, we'll climb this ladder, right? Um, one step at a time. And some of you guys can take more than two, more than one step at a time. You're going to climb a little faster, but here's the ladder, right? And then, uh, and, and I think I used to, I used to think, boy, I got, I have something to say to you, right? To, you know, that me talking to the kids, I have something to say to you. And I would try and push this technique into their brains so that they understood it. And then I realized, God, that was just ass backwards. And, and, the kids would actually sort of tell me when you paid attention to them, like I'm there to serve them. 
not them to follow what my orders, right? And so that's when things really started to change and where I really kind of saw the whole joy in what it's like to take a kid from, from zero to hero in a sense, you know, in, within his own framework. And it, it just, I, it's never stopped. I just love to do it. I, I'm 60 years old now and I still do it. And, and I, I love to get up. I get up at four in the morning. Um, I hate staying up past eight because I know I'm going to be a little tired and that's not fair. So yeah, it's, it's fun. It's motivating for me. What's motivating is to to hear your story. I mean, you, you, you didn't have the hockey career that you wanted. Uh, you had some challenging uh, experiences at home. I mean, I can't imagine what that was like. But what was cool to hear is that you had your your godfather and uh, dad and guys like Mariucci, Ken Yackel, Herb Brooks that were in your life uh and it's it this they were all about growing the game getting yeah into it uh you know and then you know you uh, you meet your wife she she gets you into uh, another world of uh possibly instruction that really kind of lit the lamp inside you you did your skiing uh deal and that kind of fanned the flame even more where you uh uh took some things from that and then went back with your wife, started doing some research and all of a sudden the puzzle pieces are starting to come together. So tell me why is power skating dead and what is the glide platform <coughs> method and when was that concept like conceived? I know you were working, was, was that when it was the, the birth of it? Was that in that early time when you It, just it really was. Yeah, it, it really was. And, and it was, you know, when you look at speed skating and figure skating and skates, there are their skates are designed certain ways because of the needs of the sport. Right. And so if, if you look at, say, uh, speed skating, speed skating is a get up to speed and maintain it. And hockey is never a maintaining. It's not a maintenance, a speed maintenance sport. It's all about uh, about agility, stopping, starting, and acceleration, all right? So it's all of that. I mean, obviously, we want to hit higher top-end speeds, and that gets to this point. But a speed skater's got this big, long blade, and you look at him, and you go, you know, that guy can run 22 miles an hour, but he can go 38 to 40. So if you were on a scooter, let's say, like a, a kick scooter, you got one foot on, and you're, you're pushing with your foot, you're not going to go past your running speed. Because every time you set your foot down on the eye, on the ground, it's going to stop on that point. So you're only, only going to be able to push yourself off that point, the speed that your leg can, you know, grab, pull, and thrust, and whatever you're going to do to get going as fast as you can. It's going to be your running speed, right? And there are going to be people that are just not even very efficient on that, and they won't even hit their running speed. So that would be called a stopped, a stopped point propulsion system, right? I'm, I'm on a gliding foot, but my pushing foot stops every time. And so, you know, I was six feet tall when I was 13. So I was a skinny Ooh. guy. And I remember my dad saying, Hey, put your skis on so you don't go down the drain, you know, like all the skinny jokes. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, thanks, dad. And, and, and I remember like little kids, you know, not little kids, but 
I was the tall kid and, and little guys like just not being able to catch him. Right. Like I was like a puppet out there, just a rag doll. And then a couple of years later, I'm the biggest, strongest guy on the ice. Cause I grew into that body. Right. Yeah. And so, um, there, there was a, there was a, you know, bunch of growth spurt years and kind of losing my train of thought as to the question you asked. Just the, the glide the, platform training. Oh, yes. Okay. I, yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. So, um, what happened is as a, as power skating, uh, came up about when Dick Vera, the guy with the patch over his eye that yep. scared me, I thought he was a pirate. And <laughs> I, when I was a young guy and, uh, and Glenn Sonmore on the ice, he had a patch on his eyes. Like, think of that North star coach <laughs> and the North star skating coach. And what they were teaching, in fact, I never knew until not too long ago that Dick Faraz, the guy who called it power skating, right? And so this is early 70s. And then by the time uh, the early 80s got there, some of the things that he was teaching, he is already changing and evolving. He was always going, he was already going, yeah, okay, that, that start technique where we jump over the hockey sticks on our toes you know, maybe there's something better, you know, so he started to evolve, right, and and get better. But yet, the power skating manual, manuals have already been written. And they were really easy to understand, because it was a natural way to skate. And if I get back to big lanky me, okay, I'm I, when I stand up, I don't have the knee bend. So guess what I do to get my stick to the ice? Well, I bend over forward, I roll my back, so biomechanically, I'm in a weak position, and I could never get on to glide, and I'll get back on to that in, in a little bit. So what would happen is because, you know, we, our numbers are about 1 in 10,000 kids has good posture on, the ska- on their skates, and everybody else has got to work at it. And the reason that they have bad posture is because they have a stick with weak legs. Okay. So you're trying to get your stick to the ice. You do all these weird things, right? Like bending your back over, rolling your back or tipping forward at the hips. And if you imagine standing on your skate and we got a flat spot there, let's say, if I stand on that flat spot, uh, and glide, I can, you know, you could put a thousand pounds of pressure on that skate and it wouldn't crush ice. Right. But if I lean back a little bit onto my heel, You'd hear the ice kind of crushing a little bit, and that would cause drag, right? Or if I'm pushing, I start to walk off my toe. My toe digs in. It's going to stop. It's going to stop right there on the ice. You are now pushing yourself just like the scooter. So Jack Blatherwick, who was the he was the kind of the trainer for the the Miracle on Ice team, and really the godfather, I think, of hockey conditioning here. And he's right out of here, but all over the world, kind of the godfather of how to condition a hockey player. And it was really insightful, awesome stuff, right? Well, he and Dave King from Canada, they did a study with a bunch of pro hockey players where they were sprinting, like they would do a 20-meter sprint and a 40-meter sprint. And this was like, I think the two fastest guys at the time, this is early 2000s, were Paul Correa and Brett Hedekin, a Minnesota guy. You know Brett. And so these guys... These guys were, you know, Brett's like six, two, three, and uh, Paul Korea's like five foot nothing, but they could run exactly the same 20s and 40s. They skated the exact same 20s and 40s, and they were considered the fastest guys that these people had ever timed, right? 
and like the two fastest guys in the world, right? And neither one of them could skate faster than they could run. And, and, and it was like, we had, we started our glide platform stuff about almost 38 years ago. We started working on this and people like, ah, it's not right. That's not right. It's like, why? Because you've never heard it before. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> I didn't say that, but that's what I'm thinking because you've never heard it before. And, and so it's like, well, then Blatherwick's uh, uh, conditioning thing must be wrong because you never heard that before. Right. And I'm not saying just because you haven't heard it before that it's right either. So but anyway, so we went through this whole thing and we would we were seeing we were seeing that as we started taking your ability to stay on glide, like, for instance, uh, you're riding your bike and you're going first gear, second gear, third gear, fourth gear. Let's say that's your running speed. It doesn't make sense to take your foot off the pedal and start pushing on the ground, right? Because you've just taken a glide platform propulsion system and turned it into a stopped platform propulsion system, right? So it's like, put your foot back on the pedal, fifth gear, sixth gear, seventh gear, eighth gear. Maybe you're going 30 miles an hour and you can only run 22, right? So they timed, those guys had timed hundreds of guys and those two guys could hit their running speed and everybody else was slower than their running speed. And they had been doing power skating and tracked through their USA Hockey and Hockey Canada with overspeed training and all that kind of stuff. And nobody could exceed their running speed. And I was like, I am sure that I have guys that can exceed their running speed, right? Yeah. And uh, way back, I had this little kid, six years old. His name is Nick Letty. And he plays for, where is he right now? He's, uh, he's in Detroit. And uh, he was, I took him to, uh, it was an agency camp. And Phil Housley was there. And he was kind of towards the end of his career, kind of just being a mentor there. And you know how that guy was just smooth as silk, right? Oh, yeah. He just had such silky hands but really he had the he had, he had perfect posture over the top of his blades so no matter what he did when he skated he never stopped his foot he didn't do the things that slow you down he had perfect posture over his skates so if you go back to me leaning over too far in front of my skates it doesn't matter what happens when you push you're you're, you're either going to walk off slip off or dig your toe in and power skating actually taught people, well, we don't want to have it kick back. We don't want it to slip and we don't want it to be a short stride. So you better dig it in and then get down a little lower so you can take a longer stride and that thrust will become faster and faster because it's a longer stride. Well, it's like, well, you're still on a scooter though. And so what we started, uh, we started playing around with is, what if your toe never dug in? What if you were able to push off and your blade remained gliding and you were able to keep gliding and we kind of were like, gosh, they're still kicking back. Okay, well, maybe you're leaning too far forward. And then it was like, bingo, lights going off, ding, 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 ding. It's uh, we win the jackpot in uh, Las Vegas, right? Yeah. You start to, you start thinking you did anyway. And, and it just started building off of that. And then we started going through all this work and it was like, wow, you know, how do you turn around? You know, you're going forward and you say, I, I got to go from a forward skate to a backward skate. Well, here's the steps. And I go, how can I do a three-step Mohawk turn and have it a, be a three-stride Mohawk turn? And how could I do it? Let's say I pull you across Minnetonka at 100 miles an hour on my, my car and you got a, a rope back there on your skates. And I go, now skate in slow motion. 
You should be able to because you're staying on glide. You catch your toe, it's all over, right? You yep. get like theoretically, if you had a fairing in front of you, you should be able to speed up, right? Yep. And so that's that's really that's the birth of of uh, of glide platform training, and uh, you know we've refined it and gone through hundred thousand progressions for every technique yeah. you can imagine, right? Yeah. So we're we're teaching about four hundred kids a week. And we've been doing that for 30 years and I don't even know how many lessons that is, but it's a lot. And I've seen just about every kind of athlete uh, from, you know, several number one picks in the world to little Johnny who's going nowhere and has actual disabilities mentally and physically so, and then there's, that's a pretty big spectrum, right? And oh, I've yeah. seen, I've seen them grow. I've seen them go through growth spurts. You know, I, I grew five inches one year and it's like, you know, you fall apart and, and, and then you see, then you see that, you know, a couple of years later, the guy's not falling apart anymore. He's actually a monster. He grew like me. He's a big guy and now he's strong and that kind of thing and teaching kids how to get through that. And yeah, it's a lot, there's a lot there. And I'm sure you've seen it too. You know, some guy, some guy comes in and he's like silky hands, but he's just so weak. And a lot of people would be like, geez, we got to do something about the strength. And yeah, you can, but he's 12. Right. And uh, so, but then all of a sudden now he's 15 and the guy can really shoot and he can really, he's got power. He's got strength and all of that kind of stuff. So you see all those kind of weird things happen. And if you look at the snapshot of when they're weak, you think this guy's going nowhere. And then if you see the snapshot when he's strength, when he, at his strong time and you think, oh, he must have been like this his whole life. And it's, yeah, it's totally different. So I, I feel sorry for parents today that know absolutely nothing about hockey. And they have a kid that is into it because it is so technical. I mean, that's the one common thing that I have parents say to me after a first lesson is, holy cow, I can't believe how technical it is. But it isn't for me. It isn't for you and your group over there. Uh, you know, it's – and that that's why I guess it just, it's so important if you got a kid that's really passionate about it or just wants to improve a little bit, how important it is to get in front of master coaches that this is – all we do. This is all you do. This is all you think about. Right. You know, it, it's it's pretty cool. So I, I want you to talk about, uh, you know, you started as you keep refining uh, your methods and everything. You're, you're doing research constantly trying to find what the next thing is. My kids came home one day and they said, Dad, you know what the vestibular system is? And I said, no. Uh, you know what the benefits <laughs> of training it? No. Well, that's what we worked on today with Barry Soat. Tell us a little bit about the vestibular system and how you've integrated this into your, your training. Okay. All the doctors and, and neurosurgeons, plug your ears. I, I'm going to go, uh, like, I got this, see my whiteboard? You see my red dots? I just wanted to be right in the right place, right? But the, the, I'm going to give you the hula hoop uh, design, okay? So in your head, you have this cluster. I can't remember all these names because I don't talk about it that often. Um, but these hoops, right? 
and it's like uh, it's like. Hey this. Barry, Barry, yeah. your your camera's off. Can you turn your camera on quick? Okay, I turn it on. Okay, I'll turn it on. Yeah, it'll it'll be. So fun. Yeah. if you look, we got like a hoop here. Okay, and if you look at it from this standpoint, there's like one here, one here, and one here, right? And uh, they're on both sides of your head, and there's liquid inside and cilia, right? Little tiny hairs. So when you move, the cilia moves and sends signals to your brain to tell you where you're at. And across the top, there's cilia with stones on the end. You know what they're called? Stones. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> stones, right? So they're like, they're the counteraction movement. And it's an amazing thing. It really is. And what happens is like every once in a while, a stone will fall off and fall into the cilia. And every time you move or the stone is moving cilia around, and that is like 90, whatever, a high 90 in the high 90s percent of why people are dizzy. They dropped a stone and there's a way of turning your head to get it to drop out through the bottom and you're fine again. Right. And otherwise people are taking medication and it's just dumbing them down. Right. So anyway, that's a good if you ever are dizzy, go to someone who knows how to how to do that. I forget what the technique is, but I, I might have dropped the stone, you say. So, okay. uh, that, so what we have to do is we have to teach our brain. So if you're walking, I, I think if I took a, a hockey player like you, have you ever been on a tightrope or a slack, uh, line. slack line? Okay. So hockey players figure slack lines out really fast because we just have that side to side movement because of our blades. So also walking across a tightrope, right? Like literally five minutes, you could get a hockey player, a decent hockey player to walk across it in 20 minutes. Like he'd figure it out, fall a few times and get it, right? And most people wouldn't. It would take quite a while for him to make it all the way, right? So that's, that's a pretty well-defined vestibular system, but it's, you're looking straight ahead. So your brain thinks this is the front, okay? But when you turn your head, this is the front, okay? So if you were to walk across a tightrope and turn your head to the left, you would see people almost, they would make adjustments based on what their head is doing, and they would almost convulse and fall off because they're confused. Yeah. And hockey players, you know, the, the one thing that develops your, uh, your vestibular system for hockey players is just fear that, you know, I don't want to get hurt. And you have people coming at you from all sides. And so you're spinning your head around and you're trying to function. But a lot of times when people spin their heads around, they can't, they can't function from the skating standpoint. And a lot of times from the stick handling standpoint, they have to stop and brace themselves because they're actually off balance. And when I see, when I have guys do vestibular training and we will do it by just, you know, you do it too with your stick handle. Look this way, look that way, read these numbers. What color is that? You know, and all that while they're doing things, they, their brain starts to learn their vestibular system starts to catch up going, this guy is going to be turning his head all over the place. I have to figure this out because I have to, I have to have a compensation pattern for the right thing, right? And so the, brain's, the brain starts to adapt to that. And when it gets to the point where we will do things where guys are actually doing all this wild footwork, turning around, we call them Swedish pivots. I'm sure your, parent, your kids taught, told you about that. Oh, yeah. And uh, they get, you get, like you don't want to get dizzy, but you want to push it to the line because dizzy actually can be counterproductive. 
So you start slow, learn the move, and then it gets quicker and quicker. And then it's look this way, look that way while you're doing it. Now you got a puck. Now read these numbers. It's, it's, it gets pretty complicated and it's way too far for someone who hasn't built through the system, right? And I think we talked uh, a few weeks ago about the Navy SEALs and their chaos training, which is, uh, which is similar to this in that you need a, a well-developed vestibular system. Um, so if I were to take my hands and put them straight out to the sides and yep. find my, I think we did this, find my, my, my peripheral vision and wiggle my fingers out there and I'm staring straight ahead, but I'm paying attention to that movement out there, that's called saccade vision. And if you look at the best uh, athletes in the world, they have really good saccade vision and, and lots of people can do what I just said. But as soon as, as, as they get under pressure, um, your saccade go- vision goes from here to tunnel vision right away. And uh, I like to use it as an example, like uh, you're, you're walking through the woods, you hear a wolf, it's like, run, <laughs> you know, yeah. and you take off. And what that that wolf will do is flank you. He won't chase you from behind. He'll flank you from way out on the side. You may not even see him. You may not even hear him. And he'll get all the way in front of you on the, tr- on the path. And then he'll be bah, right in front of you. And he's just stopping you. And his teeth are, are, are out in there. Uh, and he's growling at you. And what, what he's doing is he's stopped you for the rest of the pack to surround you. So now the, the pack surrounds you. That, that first wolf, he's never the one who kills you. It's always something coming from the side. <laughs> you know, it gets you in that whatever, which is, which is hockey. I mean, that's hockey, right? Yeah. And so uh, we're, we're trying to steer people into trouble where the, someone can go in for the kill. And you have to be aware of it all. And you have to be aware of it all. Like, I mean, that's the standard, right? And uh, the best, the best players in the world are aware of most of it, but they have a goal of being aware of it all, everything, always. And so that's a high standard, which means I'm going to keep working at it, right? And those guys are uh, like, so we, we do this stuff where these kids are all meshing through each other on a, on a circle, like they have to go across the circle, figure eight, they're going back and forth like this. And then this guy's doing it over here. And there's 18 people on one circle doing that. And they got their eyes up. And, and uh, that's like, that's what we'll do with a six-year-old. Like, just can you get through here with your eyes up the whole time? Then can you get here through here, staring at the glass through people? Now you're starting to use saccade vision. Then we have start using, uh, you know, can I see the cone I'm going to and the cone I left by looking out the two sides of my body. And they just start doing that and they do it. And over time, I, you can tell with a kid when you can add something to that and move, move on to the next step. And pretty soon you got guys passing to each other through a mess like that. And it's, uh, it's pretty amazing their body awareness. I can turn around and catch this pass, and I know I'm not going to get hit because I've already sort of analyzed the space I'm moving into. It's, it's really cool to see. And so we'll, we'll do that um, with kids. And, and while that's artificial from one standpoint, there's a lot of chaos there, and there's a lot of fear of running into somebody or making a mistake and things like that, um, there's an, or enough fear there 
that really drives them to get it right, but nobody's out there actually to hurt them. And then when they get to the point where you do this and, and they start getting pretty good at it, you say, listen, there's a, there's a spectrum of people who are going to chase you uh, in a game. You know, the guy that wants to pickpocket you, the guy that wants to actually stop you, full takeaway. He just wants to stop you. The guy that wants to finish stopping you with a big hit. The guy who actually wants to hurt you. He wants, to, he wants you injured. That's the spectrum of people. That's never going away. It's always been there. That You have to keep raising your ability to deal with chaos to a pretty darn high level to survive that in a way that drives you to want to keep getting better. Like if you're on top of it, it's exciting. Um, I talked to uh, Martin St. Louis once down in, uh, when I was with Tampa, and this was Stamkos and Hedman were rookies. And uh, I was out there standing right next to, right between Hedman and uh, St. Louis, and I looked at him and I go, dude, I don't think I'd want to get hit by this guy. And he goes, that's been a nightmare my whole life. Right? <laughs> he goes, he goes, uh, and he goes, uh, I go, so have you, and we're by, I, we're just by ourselves, just standing by the water bottles. I go, so have you, uh, I go, are you ever afraid on the ice? And he goes, every shift my whole career. I go, it's been my motivation. And I go, it's not like that's all I feel. Like I feel the joy of the game, but the two ends of the spectrum are, you better pay attention because, you know, bad stuff can happen here too. And he goes, I'm a little guy. So he was like, I still had to learn. I got to be the first guy to the puck. And the coach would go, you know, you got to take a hit to make a play. And he's like, I can't. It could end my career. So he had to figure out how to get there, make the play. The guy gets like three inches away and he goes, bloop, and he just slips out of the way of the guy, hits the wall and misses him. And it's like, that's some crazy uh, saccade vision, right? To be able to see that, get the timing for it while you're still trying to make a play. You know, you, that's a, that's a heavy duty, uh, neuro brain multitask. And, and you can, I, I mean, we can't say everybody's going to turn into that, but you sure can show people how to, you know, where's the ladder where I can find out how good I can get at it. Right. And that's, Yeah. So, and that ends up being part of that whole thing with vision too and everything. So. Yeah, you know, and I think it's really important for everyone to, to understand. I mean, this whole process of what you're talking about is like coffee. It's a slow drip and they're lucky to have people like yourself that have put these progressions into place where when you reach that certain level, you can instantly get them reaching more than yeah. two. Uh, you said a couple words uh, during this last little segment, uh, motivation and drive. You've worked with uh, some really, really accomplished athletes over the year years. What do you think is more important, motivation or drive? That's, that's a great question. And I think, I, I, you know, it's interesting, too, because I think the definitions of those words get used differently. And some people think they're both the same thing and, and all of that kind of thing. And when I think about, when I think about what, what motivates me, if, uh, I, I like to go back to, um, you know, the, the word recreation 
or recreation. Like, what is that for, right? Like, so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a soldier in the Roman army, and I have this big lance. Not you. I have a lance. I have a big spear, right? <laughs> and the farther I can throw that thing, the farther I can stay away from their spear people, right? So let's recreate that without killing each other. And we're going to have the Olympics, right? And we're going to throw a javelin. And if you can throw it the farthest, you get a bag of gold, bag of silver, bag of bronze, and blah, blah, blah. And it's a recreation to train warriors for battle. And it's like, once you throw that spear, you better get your ass out of there. So you better be able to run. Hey, there's the first sprinting thing, right? And so we keep doing that. And then there's, there's, there's all these sports we have. And we tell kids that, that, uh, you know, you go into the corner, you're going to have a whole spectrum of people there. So you better be motivated two ways, both about the dark side of the game. What happens if you don't have tools and the, the, the light side of the game or the great side of the game, I am really well equipped and I feel really confident to be out here. So our, both of those, both of those can be motivating. And a lot of times people stay away from the dark side, the negative side. What happens to me if I don't practice? Like if I don't learn this recreation of life and it's like, well, you're, you know, I mean, you're in for a lot of pain, really. I mean, you're, you're not going to deal with things very well at all in life if you can't go into the fire and, and know what fire you can go. Are you prepared for, this is a small fire. Are you prepared for that? Well, we're going to stoke it now and you're going to have to prepare for that. And it's growing up as a player or as a kid being, being tested that way. And, you know, everybody's different, right? Like little kids, some kids are, are like I was, uh, you know, I had a, I was emotionally abused when I was a kid. So you would get emotionally, I, you would see a kid get really frustrated, really easy, you know, as a, as a young kid. And so I see that in kids, you know, some kids are like, uh, you know, you see some guy, Oh, my dog, you won't come when he's called. And it's like, well, it's the top of the leash. That's not working. Right. You got <laughs> to train, you got to train that dog. And so there's a lot of people that don't get sort of the training to get through life that way. So I like to motivate and, you know, and, and, and I think I'm on your, on your question for motivation and drive. Um, I think if, if you give people too much to bite off at one time, you can, kids can lose motivation because they'll lose confidence. They'll lose the confidence to drive towards that goal. Um, like, ah, oh, that's just too much for me to achieve. And so, yeah, I think, I, am I on with you with motivation and drive with this answering that this away? Yeah, no, I, it, I, I listened to a podcast this morning and the, how he presented it, I'd never thought about it before because he said, stop trying to get motivation, stop trying to find motivation because like if you wake up, he says motivation is fleeting, you know? Yes, I didn't do, yes. do something today because I wasn't motivated. Uh, yeah. So if you wake up in the morning uh, hoping that you're going to be motivated and don't have drive, you're probably not going to get anything done. But if right. you have drive, I mean, all the top athletes that you have worked with, it's not motivation. They know that this is what I'm chasing. I'm driven. I'm doing that. They don't need the motivation. If they have the motivation, that just makes the day a little easier. Yes. Yes. No, I, I love that. That's 
See, that's perfect. And if you, if you think about it, break it down, it's like the motivation is the subtract, the subjective, I want to be this. And the, the drive is the objective. Well, here's all the facts you got to take care of to get there. Yeah. Right. And I mean, it's, this thing's built out of something, pick up that heavy thing and put it over here. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and it's like, but and a lot of times, you know, you like, that's the drive. Like, I want this pile of rocks over there. Okay. So you pick up that rock, put it over there, put it over there, put it, and they get done and they go, look at that. I moved all that. That's, I, I did that. And, and then I achieved something because of it. I got a candy bar, blah, blah, whatever. Um, it can be motivating sometimes knowing the, the end of it. But like you said, too, if you're, if you're trying to live your life through feelings, like I feel like it today, how many times did you get up to work out? You're like, this is the last thing I want to do. <laughs> and you go do it. You get your workout done and you get done and you're like, I don't really feel great now either, but I'm glad I did it. You know, that kind of thing. And it's, it, that too is fleeting, isn't it? Like the, like the, the, the bad days, they're fleeting too. So yeah, you can't attach yourself to, uh, to pumping yourself up for everything all the time. Sometimes you just got to do it anyway. Yeah. I, I just, I, I find that, you know, you just hear it over and over that from uh, highly successful people, doesn't matter what the, the uh, spectrum is, you know, the discipline, they, it's the ones that the days that matter are the days that you don't want to do it. And you still do it. Yeah. Love that. That's great. Uh, in doing the research for this episode, I thought it was pretty cool to see that your son has been working with you since 2001. And now your daughter is in the family business as her and your wife, Jody, have started the Karn Jr. program. Yeah. Uh, my, nieces, uh, my niece and two nephews are going to be joining up soon. Oh, awesome. Uh, to develop the very young uh, for the Karn Skating Dynamics School. And I think that's such a great plan. Again, you're, you're doing what Herb Brooks would hope and Mary Uchi would hope you'd do. You're trying to grow the game and getting at the, the real grassroots of it. Because I tell you what, those uh, three, four, five-year-old uh, skating, that's, that's hard work. But how special is that to be able not only to help so many young aspiring hockey players, but now to be able to do it with your family by your side? It's 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 awesome. I mean, it is. It's just so awesome. I mean, Jody and I couldn't be more different. And that's that's why we do so well together. You know, like when I would get a little bit hard she would know how to soften things out and when i thought things were a little too soft i could push and that kind of thing and and you know i mean she is just little kids little kids gravitate towards her we you know i could be walking around the mall with her and we pass some little kid in a stroller i don't know what it is they stare at her and smile and she turns around and smiles and she's just great with little kids and you get a little three-year-old out there that he doesn't he doesn't want to, he has no drive yet, right? Other than to just play and whatever. And she can get this little kid smiling and doing all this different stuff. And, and, and then my daughter sort of mentoring under her and she's got her own uh, unique way of looking at things. And she's actually a little bit more conscientious like than me, meaning she gets things done, you know, administratively a little bit more and everything. So she's a little more uh, uh, well-rounded. And then she's just another 
She's another voice for my wife to bounce things off of. And then my granddaughter, who's 12, she uh, she's goes out there and does some demonstrating too. So like, it's uh, yeah, it's pretty funny. That's uh, it's three generations on the ice at, at some point. And there's a, there's a couple of mornings where we have some kind of younger like squirts and, and uh, mites and things like that. And then they're down on the other end with the tiny little kids and everything. And, the whole family's there and we go out to breakfast after and it's pretty fun. That's awesome. Well, your passion has gone full circle. You've had the opportunity to positively impact hockey players from around the world by improving their skating. You and your wife have opened up the eyes to the old school coach, you know, years ago uh, to, to take a different perspective on, on how we can develop the skating and you've developed a teaching method that continues to get reinforced by all the student successes, which include Division One scholarships, Olympians, and NHL players. And what I love, Barry, is again, you know, you just touched on it. How it's a it's a three generation business. Um, you you have been an entrepreneur that has been uh, growing the game of hockey and. I guess with the the one premise of just trying to give every everyone that you're in front of a hundred percent of you during that moment and make that experience positive, so they want to come back and try to get a little better. So thank you for all you do, and thank you for being a guest on the Hockey Journey podcast. Thank you, Lance. And we will uh, we're going to have to do this again. Because uh, I really like talking to you. <laughs> yeah, no, this is fun. I, I, I could see doing this on a regular basis. It's just, there's so many things to talk about, aren't there? I mean, I, we, we, I haven't even gotten a chance to drill you. So I would love to do that because, you know, we have so many kids that are in common. You know that, and yeah. I know that. And like, you know, I can pretty much, you know, when you see a, a, a pretty young kid, like I'll see him and I go, God, this dude is just clicking through all of our vision stuff so fast. And I'm like, do you know Lance? And they're like, oh, yeah, I, I know Lance. We do, we do that stuff all the time. You know, like I remember that with uh, Peter Tufto. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. And sorry, I had to push on your face there. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so we, we you know, I, I, I would love to talk about some of that kind of stuff, too, because from what we've talked about, it seems like, you know, if you if your intention is to serve kids, you know, to do better for the kids, to make them successful in their endeavor, uh, you, you tend to turn into the same kind of people, right? So, be interesting to hear how you've done that too. Yes, no, there's so many commonalities, and again, I'm just uh, grateful that you're in my circle of uh, people that. I can uh, contact and have great in-depth conversations. Uh, so let's continue this a different time. Thank you for all you do. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, right on. Thank you. To learn more about the Karn family and Karn Skating Dynamics, check out their website at karnskatingdynamics.com. What a great conversation. Well, that concludes another episode of the Hockey Journey Podcast. I can't thank you enough for stopping by and listening. I hope you enjoyed Barry Carnes' hockey journey. And if you think there's someone in your circle of family and friends that might enjoy this episode, please share it with just one person. It will really help me in growing this hockey community. Again, I appreciate you being here. Don't forget to subscribe. 
I hope to see you back here soon. And do me a favor, make someone close to you smile today. All the best, my friends.